Hey, hey, hey. Good morning, everyone. And uh, one more hand for all the wonderful mothers in our midst, and we want to honour you uh, today. Praise God. Praise God. There is a lady by the name of Anna Javis. I don't know if you ever heard her name before, but she was the first person, actually, to suggest setting aside a day every year to honour all mothers. She was actually kind of like the founder of Mother's Day. And it all started because of a memorial service that she was holding for her beloved mother on May the 10th, 1908. That's how long ago it was. At the service, she actually gave to every... Uh, she gave a red carnation to every person who was there. And within the next few years, the idea of a day to honour mothers began to gain popularity. And it spread from one city in the US to another. And very soon, uh, it became a thing, you know. And then on May the 9th, 1914, at that time, the president was Woodrow Wilson. And he actually proclaimed at that time that the second Sunday of May will become Mother's Day. And it was declared as a day for public expression, okay? Notice what it's for. Huh? It's for public expression of our love and honour for the mothers of our country. And it has remained like that right up to today. And that's the reason why, brothers and sisters, we have a Mother's Day service this morning. And we want to say to all the mums that are in our midst that you are the backbone of a family. You are the glue that holds the family together. You are probably the hardest worker in the house, you know, and we want to honour you this morning. And we want to say to you, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. You know, many great men in history have actually attributed their success to the contribution of their mothers, uh, just in case you don't know. Abraham Lincoln, wonderful man, right? He said this, All that I am, I owe to my mother. Wow. <laughs> General MacArthur said, My mother taught me devotion to God, a love for my country, which has sustained me. John Newton, who was the writer of that famous song, uh, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, said this, My mother prayed me into the kingdom. My mother prayed me into the kingdom. Praying mothers, what a powerful thing. Uh, nearer to home, you know, I had a dinner gathering a few, few nights ago with some of our church members and... Victor Kien was there. Some of you may know Victor, the tall guy. He's my bouncer, the big guy. Yeah, that's Victor Kien. Victor turned to us all of a sudden and he said something that I thought struck me. He said, you know, my mom taught me two things. And then he told me what those two things are. He said, number one, whatever your wife cooks, never complain. <laughs> good advice. If it's good, eat more. If it's not good, eat less, but never complain. Then you live longer. <laughs> I think that's true. Good advice. And then it says, whatever happens, no matter how angry you are, never lay hands on your wife. He said, you get angry, you can break the TV, you can break the table, all those are replaceable. If you want to save costs and change everything to plastic. But... <laughs> Never, never lay hands on your wife. And I thought, oh, that's so practical. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? But here's the bottom line, right? Any woman 
can have a baby. It takes someone special to be a mom. And so I say to every mother that is here today, we honor you and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to every one of you. And you know, this morning, I want to bring you a word. Uh, and it's not just for mums in the house, but I think for all women in the church and correspondingly for all of us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I want to invite you now to go with me to a passage in Titus chapter 2. And I want you to listen carefully to what I have to say because as a disciple-making church, this is a very critical passage. I turn you now to the book of Titus chapter 2. I want to read for you from verse 3 to verse 5. Titus chapter 2, reading from verse 3 to verse 5. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul wrote to, to Titus, he said, Likewise, teach the older women in, to be reverent in the way that they live, not as slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. The book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son by the name of Titus. What happened before this was Paul actually left Titus in the city of Crete in order to do two things. And basically, the two things are to appoint and to amend. Basically, to appoint elders for the new church plan that Paul started. So in order to appoint elders, it takes time to get to know the people. So Paul was moving from city to city and he needed someone who would get to know the ground, get to know the people before he, they appoint elders. And so he left Titus there to do this, to appoint elders for the church, and secondly, to amend the wrong teachings that is going on, that is propagated by the false teachers of the law. That was the other thing that was going on, and he needed Titus to be there to address this issue, where there are wrong teachings, put it right. And that is why this book of Titus is all about right doctrines that will lead to right deeds. If you have the right creed, you end up with the right conduct. If you believe right, you end up with the right behavior. So he wanted to make sure that they, are, they have right doctrines so that it can end up with the right deeds. So chapter 1 of the book of Titus simply talks about good deeds that are in the church that rises out of good doctrines. Second, chapter 2 is good deeds in the home. And then chapter 3 then deals with good deeds in the community. And all this is a result of solid doctrines that are in the church. So that's the background to the book of Titus. And here in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, Paul is challenging Titus to teach the older men. If you read it, you, he talked about teaching the older men, teaching the older women. Paul, you need to, uh, Titus, you need to teach the younger men and the slaves even. So he's actually telling Titus, as the pastor, you need to teach everybody. Teach the older men, teach the older women, the younger men and the slaves. But interestingly, I'd like you to notice this, interestingly, Paul also told Timothy specifically that let the older women teach the younger women, right? Read again, Titus 2, verse 3 to 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent and tell them how to behave, and then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and wives, to be self-controlled, etc. So what's he saying? He first tell Titus, teach 
All these people teach the older women, teach the older men, teach the younger men, teach the slaves even. But get the older women to teach the younger women. I thought, what insight that is, you know. Paul was so insightful in instructing Timothy as a young, uh, Titus as a young pastor to leave the teaching of the younger women to the older women rather than to get too close to the younger women himself. I thought there is such wisdom there. And, uh, and, and that, this is the challenge I want to bring to all the older women in our midst. You have the responsibility to teach and train the younger women in the church. Somebody ought to say, Amen. <laughs> Are you with me? Older women, when I say old, it means anything above 25. Lah. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. You, it's, it's arbitrary, okay? But as an older person, a more experienced person, uh, uh, experienced woman, you have the responsibility to teach the younger ones in the church. It speaks about mentoring situation. It's about spiritual mothering. And this is one thing I believe that FCC is well able to do. The reason is because we are a multi-generational church. We have older women and we have younger women, ranging from 80 years old all the way to, to 8 years old, right? God has actually blessed us with godly older women and lovely younger women who are waiting to be taught, waiting to be trained in the ways and the works of God. And I think it should start in the domain of the home, which is the context of Titus chapter 2. It starts in the home, overflows into the church. You see, and I believe that the Spirit of the living God is calling forth this morning, not just physical mothers who will care for their own family, but He's calling for spiritual mothers who will care for the women in the family of God. And may the spiritual mothers in our midst Rise up in Jesus' name. Oh, good point to shout amen. You know? And I think this is the cry of the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to outline for you three big benefits that can come if the spiritual mothers in our midst will rise. Let me outline them for you. Number one is this. There will be mentoring for the women. If the spiritual mothers in our midst the older, more experienced women in our midst, godly women sitting amongst us in the pews, if you would rise up, there will be mentoring for the women in this house. During the time of the Apostle Paul, many of the women who came into church at that time did not have a Christian background. You need to understand that. And therefore, they know very little about how they should behave as a Christian mother, as a Christian wife. And that is why the Apostle Paul admonished the older women to provide mentoring for the younger women in the church. And I'd like you to notice that the way that Paul puts it, he used the terms teach. He also used the terms train. You see, and the, 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 the Greek word for it is sophro nitso. Sophro nitso, which actually means um, train to a point where you cultivate a change of mindset that they actually get it, you know. It's, so it's not just verbal teaching. It's more than that. It's mentoring. And that, that word, train or teach, uh, it's not just to teach verbally. It's to personally demonstrate or model the ways of God in the home. And, and don't just tell them, in other words. Don't just keep telling them what to do, but actually show them until they get it. That's the whole point. 
You see, and what you say, I understand. But it's what you do, then I believe. Agree? Right? I, I see you doing it. I see you actually acting it. Then I, then I actually believe. Now, what are the older women supposed to demonstrate for the younger women? The Bible tells us it's, it's how to love your husband, how to love your children, how do you live lives of purity and self-control, you know, how, how do you manage your household well, how do you relate to your in-laws, you know, things like that. Really teach them these things. In other words, there are some, these are some of the mentoring issues that Christian women need. See? And, and I think of one such mentoring relationship in the story of Ruth and Naomi in the book of, in the book of Ruth. Remember that story? There's a mother, about mother-in-law and, and, and the, the daughter-in-law. And if, you, if you've ever read the book of Ruth, Ruth before, you know the background. It's like this. Due to a famine, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they were from the promised land. They were actually from Israel. And because of the famine, they had no choice but to take their two very sickly sons because the sons were not well. They needed to make sure that they can survive. And so he took them out of the promised land, out of Israel, and actually went down to Moab. Okay, and it was there in Moab that they, they have to, uh, the two sons ended up marrying Moabite women. One of them was called Opah. The other one was called Ruth. But shortly after that, Elimelech, the father, died. And then worse still, the two sons also died. And so what do we have left in the home? You have Ruth, Opa, and then the mother-in-law, Naomi. They ended up with that. And Naomi had no choice but to go back to Israel because all the men are gone. They can't even provide for themselves now. She's got to go back to her homeland so that she can get help. So, but she was such a, a, a godly person. She actually wanted to, didn't want the two daughter-in-laws actually go back with her to Israel and then ended up stranded, you know. So what she did was, before she left, she actually said to the two daughters-in-law, I release you from all of your marital duties and then you can go back to your own people, go back to your Moabites. And it was at that point that Opa decided that she'll go back to her own people. But Ruth was different. Ruth cling on to her mother-in-law. That's a strange thing, you know, but she did that. She cling on to her mother-in-law and she said, where you go, I will go. Your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. What an awesome uh, thing, you know. But you, well, can you imagine this is mother-in-law and daughter-in-law? No. Every other thing I can understand. This one, wow, awesome, you know, to me. And she actually did that. She actually went back with the mother-in-law back to Israel. And you know what? She, as a Moabite woman, Ruth, as a Moabite woman, knows nothing about the customs of the Jewish people. So what, what does she need? She needs mentoring. She needs a mother-in-law come alongside her. And, and, and Naomi began to mentor her, guide her into the things of the Jewish world. Things like, there is such a thing called kinsman redeemer. Who ever heard of that? They, they know nothing about it. In other words, if your husband die, the next of kin is actually supposed to take care of you. Supposed to marry you, take care of you, and then make sure that there's lineage that comes out of your husband. And she knows nothing about that. It was Naomi who taught her, mentored her, guided her. And in the end, what happened was, Ruth ended up marrying a man called Boaz. And Boaz was a godly, wealthy Jewish man who was actually the next of kin of the, of the, the deceased husband. And out of that, they had a son called Obeth. 
Okay, now let me read for you the outcome. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14 to 17. Listen to what happened here. The women said to Naomi, that it was, they, she ended up, right, with a son now, and so Naomi ended up with a grandchild by the name of Obeth. Now, Ruth 4, 14 to 17 says, The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day have not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life, sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, have given him birth. And then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and cared for him. The women living there then said, Naomi has a son. It's like, you know, wow, it's like your own son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, who became the father of David. Ladies, listen to me. Can you see yourself playing this role of sponsoring new people, new ladies into the spiritual family? And that's what Naomi was doing. She was sponsoring Ruth into the Jewish heritage, sponsoring her into the family. I think that's part of being missioner. If we are willing, you may just end up being blessed like Naomi. And in the end, Naomi herself was so blessed. People all around say, wow, you got a new son. You got a new son. And she was so happy in the end. In the end, she ended up with the joy of having a son that she can now take into her own lineage. Do you know, brothers and sisters, later, Obed became the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David, who was a descendant of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So listen to me, friends. Because of this mentoring relationship between Naomi and Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess ended up in the bloodline of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of spiritual mothering. And I want to challenge every woman in FCC to rise to the call of God for you to become a spiritual mother to others. Women in our midst, disciple the other women in the church. Nurture them into the family of God. Somebody say, Amen. We need that. If the mothers in the church will rise, we're going to see mentoring for the women. Here's number two, another important one there will be much motivation for the discouraged. There will be motivation for the discouraged. Nobody can understand a woman like a woman can. Agree? Nobody can understand a woman. In fact, full stop. But <laughs> no, no. Nobody can understand a woman like a woman can. At least another woman can try. <laughs> and when the older women rise in the church and began to reach out to the younger women in our midst, I believe the church will be strengthened. I think of one classic case in Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus, right? Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Let me read that story for you. At that time, Mary got ready. You know, Mary at that time already got the, the Christ child in her, okay? So, and, and imagine, right? First time, you know, and she, was, she must be shocked, right? At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill city of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb because at that time, um, Elizabeth was also carrying John the Baptist. There was a baby inside her too. And the moment Mary cried, greeted her, the baby, John the Baptist, inside 
Elizabeth began to leap, you know, and, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you amongst women. Blessed is the child that you will bear. How many of you know that's prophetic? Right? She actually had a prophetic word and she began to cry out, Blessed are you amongst women. Blessed is the child that you will bear. For, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You know, blessed is he who, who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. When you read these words, please remember that Mary at that time was a young virgin. She was a teenager. She knows nothing about sex or pregnancy. I mean, what would she know about morning sickness or water retention or food craving, right? She knows none of these things. Can you imagine the trauma she must be in? in her situation, having a baby inside her. She's about to lose her reputation. Right? Or being a, 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 she's not a chaste woman. People will begin to think like that. She is about to be misunderstood and she will be ridiculed. Imagine the shame, the anxiety, the uncertainties, the fears that Mary must be facing. So what did she do? Immediately, she ran to her older friend and mentor, her cousin, Elizabeth. Get me? She ran to Elizabeth as, a, as an older person, as a mentor, as a source of wisdom. And, and I know that Elizabeth was a godly person. Why? Because she's the wife of a priest called Zechariah and therefore a woman of God. Why? Because priests at that time are only allowed to marry women of piety. And Elizabeth was a long distance away from Mary, but Mary took the trouble to actually take that journey. Why? Because she needed the encouragement. She needed the counsel of an older woman, and so she made the journey. When she reached Elizabeth's place, can you imagine what happened, right? The Holy Spirit used Elizabeth to actually give her a prophetic word, ministered to her in the Spirit. And that encounter was so powerful that even the baby leapt, you know, in, in Elizabeth's womb. And suddenly, Elizabeth felt the Holy Spirit began to prophesy. And then you read Luke chapter 1, verse 42. She says, Blessed are you, Amongst women, blessed is the child that you will bear. Mary was so ministered to, so encouraged by Elizabeth that, that out of Mary, read the rest of the chapter, out of Mary came a prophetic word also. It became a song that we now call the Magnificat. You know, and she began to prophesy also. And I thought that was amazing. What an encounter, right? In that encounter between two women, an older, younger woman, boom. When it comes together and with the touch of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden there was affirmation released, encouragement given, mutual edification, spiritual gifts begin flowing. Awesome. We need more of that. And that encounter that took place between the younger woman and the older mentor was so good. You know, she ended up staying with Elizabeth for three months. And the Holy Spirit began to open my eyes to see the significance of that relationship. What would happen to Mary, right, if she did not have an Elizabeth in her life? She cannot possibly go to Joseph. I mean, what would he know? What could he understand? You know, in fact, how could any man understand? It must be that friendship of two women, and it takes spiritual mothering. Mothers, those of you who have walked with the Lord for years, 
it's time for you to give back to. Look for the younger women in our midst. Take them in, under your wings. Spend time with them. And we will see mentoring for the women. We see motivation for the discouraged. And most importantly, I think we will see the third thing, modeling for the next generation. We see a model for the next generation. I see this in the life of young Timothy, for example, in the Bible. Right? As Titus was challenged, so I see all this actually in the Scriptures. It's all there. This is what happened to Timothy in the Bible. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Listen to this one. I thank God whom I serve, Paul says, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And he's talking about Timothy. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And I'm being reminded of your sincere faith, your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Louise, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Here you see vividly, right, the passing on of the generational anointing through three generations, through what? Through the moms. You see, and it was three generations from Grandmother Louise, passed on to Mother Eunice, from Mother Eunice down to her son, Timothy. And the faith that they pass on is described this way, sincere faith. In other words, it is a faith that is unhypocritical. It means it's entirely real. That faith is not fake, you know, it is authentic. In other words, it is really from the heart. And that faith has been passed down through three generations because of godly mothers. Timothy had a sincere faith because he was exposed to the power of God's Word from a very young age through the parents and the grandparents. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, listen to this. But for, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learn it and how from infancy, from baby. You have, been, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And from infancy, the Word of God is already working in Timothy's life through the mom and through the gram grandma. I thought, that's awesome. And even the name that the mother gave to Timothy reflected her desire because the name Timothy means he who fears God. He who fears God. And that, this led ultimately to his salvation. In fact, the influence of the mom, grandma, and the word of God that they gave to her was so great, the Apostle Paul noticed it. And that's why Timothy was chosen as a spiritual son. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, let me read for you how Timothy turned out because of the parents, uh, because of the mom, and because of the grandma. Listen to this. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mom was a Jewess and a, and, a, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. In other words, the father may not even be a believer. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on a journey, and so he circumcised him because of the, of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. The godly heritage that his mom, um, of his mother, actually raised Timothy to a point where others spoke well of him. They saw how he lived. And this resulted in Timothy becoming a part of Paul's apostolic team. His mother's impact, I think, 
can be seen in the way that Timothy became a caring father. You know, and, and, be, and how Timothy became a caring pastor. He has so much tenderness in him. He was such a tender person. You know, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, we read, he says, recalling your tears. Second Titus 1, 2 Timothy 1, 2, he says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, Timothy was one of those pastors that can cry, you know. He can feel for people and he, he actually cry. He, he, he ministers out of a very tender heart. He is a 21st century Renaissance man who is not afraid to cry. <laughs> and that's Timothy. And that, I think, is the impact of a godly mother. Are you capturing this? That, what a beautiful thing. You know, before I came to Perth 22 years ago, I used to pastor a Methodist church. I was a Methodist pastor for a good eight years. And in the Methodist tradition, the name John and Charles Wesley were held in high esteem. You know, because they are the founders of the Methodist Church. Even secular historians in England used to write in part of secular history, England was never the same after John and Charles Wesley. But the secret, I think, to their great lives is found actually in their mother, Susanna Wesley. Uh, I read all about her because that's, it's part of Methodism class. I have to go through it. And I read all about Susanna Wesley. She was a godly woman. But you know, in, despite all of her business, she never forgets that her priority was to raise her children up in the fear of the Lord. And when John Wesley was still a little boy, you know, all the Methodism books will record this about how John actually came up to his mother one day and asked the mother a very poignant question. And the question she asked her mom was this, Mom, what is sin? From a very young age, he already had that propensity, you know, towards the things of the Spirit. And so he asked the mom a question like this, Mom, what is sin? And then I want you to listen to the illiterate, non-theologically trained woman's answer. This mom's answer was, was this. He said, John, whatever weakens your reasoning, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, Whatever obscures your sense of God or takes away your desire for spiritual things, in short, anything that increases the authority and power of the flesh over your spirit, that thing to you, my son, becomes sin, however good it may be in itself. Wow. How's that for a definition of sin? I thought it was brilliant. Is it any wonder then that John Wesley should become the man that he turned out to be? Do you know, in his lifetime, John Wesley preached a total of 40,000 sermons. <laughs> and the guy was a sermon preacher. You know, he had 40,000 sermons. And he preached these 40,000 sermons by riding, you know, mounted on a horse for 20,000 miles. He went from town to town to preach this 40,000 sermon. I mean, this guy was the original sermon on the mount, you understand? You know, he was mounted on a horse, he everywhere, and he preached this 40,000 sermons. Do you know, at the age of 83, John Wesley was angry with his doctor. You know why? Because the doctor advised him that he should not preach more than 14 times a week. You know? This guy was angry with the doctor. At the age of 86, he wrote in his journal, I must be getting increasingly lazy 
for I'm finding it more and more difficult to get up at 5.30 a.m. to pray. Some of us, I tell you, have trouble getting up at 8 a.m. And it's not even to pray, just to eat breakfast, you know what I mean? <laughs> what an influence Susanna Wesley had on this godly son. It's the power of mothering, you know. Theodore Roosevelt said this, you know, praying mothers are America's greatest asset. And I say to you this morning, you know, praying mothers, I think, is Australia's greatest asset. That we have mothers who will pray. And mothers have that power, you know, to model godliness for the next generation. And who knows? There could be another John Wesley right there in your home. And who knows? There can be another Charles Wesley right there in your connect group. If only the mothers in the house will rise. And that's the challenge I want to give to you this morning. I think the cry of the Holy Spirit this morning is for the spiritual mothers in our midst to rise in Jesus' name. The church needs spiritual mothers. As much as we need spiritual fathers, today I just focus on mother. Come Father's Day, I'll talk to you guys, but <laughs> Mother's Day, let's talk about the mothers. The church really needs spiritual mothers. There are many hurting, wounded people in our midst. There are many hurting, wounded women in our midst. And we need spiritual mothers who can comfort, who can confront, who can cover them until they are strong enough again to stand on their own. And my question to all of you, ladies in the house, those of you who have walked with God for many years, my question for you is this, will you be willing to be the Elizabeth, the Naomi's, you know, the, the Lewis's and the Eunice's of our time? If you would, then I really believe that we will see women being mentored in the church. We will see the next generation rise. And we will see many discouraged women in our midst being encouraged and lifted up and edified. And this is the cry of the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. Here's what I'd like us to do as we bring this to a close, you know. You know where is the starting point? of all this, I believe the starting point is, ladies, you, you need to be godly yourself because we can only reproduce after our own kind. That until we ourselves, uh, not we, I mean, until you are willing to be godly and to say, I'll commit myself to be that godly woman. And then I can, be mod I can model that for the rest. And if you will be willing to do that, then I believe there are good days ahead for the church. I commit myself to be a woman of purity, of power, and of purpose. I will be that woman of substance. And if you do that, there is hope for the next generation. Hallelujah. See, here's what I'd like us to do. I want to invite, firstly, all the mothers in the house, would you stand to your feet where you are? I also want to invite all the rest of the women, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you ladies this morning. All women in the house can now stand. All right, I see you. Wonderful. Whether you're young, old, whether you're mom, we are not yet a mom. Uh, young ladies, would you stand to your feet as well so that we can 
you know, in my mind's eyes, I want to see an army of women rise up in the church. Um, I can't wait for Father's Day because I need a, an army of commanders in the house also. But today, we want to talk to the women. I wonder if you would do me that honor. I, I, want, to pers- I want to pray for you, for all the women in the house. And I wonder if you would be willing to step out from where you are. I know that we have a bit of time to just it's, take a bit of time, but it's okay because we really want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you now, wherever you are, would you just step out from where you are? I know it will be crowded, but it's okay. There's nothing like to see an army, you know, stand together. Oh, no, the ladies, would you come to the front? So just fill up this altar with, just come. And we start by saying, every one of you saying to yourself, I want, I will commit myself to be that woman of purpose, a woman of power, be that woman of purity. Now, just stand all the way up to the front, please, all the way to the front, so that we make room for everyone to come. Yeah. And guys, why don't we just give them a good hand and just welcome them to the front. And That's right. That's right. You know, we stand together as one. Now, just fill up the altar. Can come all the way to the front, and then in a few moments... I want to pray for you. Uh, those of you in city campus, would you do the same? Just come up to the front, and I want to pray for you this morning, a prayer that I have written just for you. Now, taking the time to write it so that I can make sure that I don't miss anything. But I believe in the power of prayer, that when we pray, something happens in the spiritual realm. Never know we have so, much, so many women, my goodness. Yeah, it's good. Wonderful. Yeah, and if, you, if it's already food and stand in the house, it's okay. One army together. And guys, you should be so proud of your wives and your daughters and your friends that are here because the church will never be the church without the women in the church. And we are thankful for every one of you for all the things you do in your home, in the church. We praise God for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. So ladies, would you lift your hearts to the Lord and lift your hands to the Lord and uh, let me pray for you. Those of you in city campus, would you do the same and allow me to pray. Thank you, Lord. This is my prayer for you, ladies. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for entrusting us with the privilege of motherhood. It is an awesome responsibility to steward our children so that they may fulfill their God-given destinies. We thank you for the sacrificial love and unwavering devotion that moms give to their children. And we ask you to strengthen every mother physically, emotionally, and spiritually with your Word and with your Holy Spirit. May you fill them with your wisdom and equip them to handle every challenge and situation as they seek to raise their children up in the ways of the Lord. Some of them here may be worried about their children who have gone away from the Lord. I ask you, Lord, to remind them again that the seed of the gospel that is planted in their children over the years is an incorruptible seed. 
It is the imperishable seed. It's the eternal seed. And the seed of the gospel is eternal, incorruptible, and this seed will never die. So as we continue to water the seed of the gospel in our children with our love and prayer, may these seeds that may be dormant now come back to life in Jesus' name. This morning, we also remember those among us who are waiting upon you for a child. We ask you to grant them the desires of their heart as they put their faith and they put their trust in you. Bless them with the joy of raising godly children for you. For those who are single moms among us, may their love and their strength be found in our great God who is a father to the fatherless. God, we pray for every single mom that you give them added grace because of so much they need to do to raise their children. And may you help the church to become a massive means of support to the, mom, to the single moms among us. And finally, we pray that the older women in our church will rise to intentionally mentor and disciple the younger women so that this mental of godly mothering will be passed on from generation to generation. And we pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. 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 Hallelujah. It's so wonderful to see all you wonderful women that are in the church. And may the Lord continue to strengthen you and encourage you in all that you do. Why don't you turn to one another, give yourself a good hug, yeah? <laughs> Guys, let's give them a really good hand for all that they do and for all that they... Praise God. Praise God.